Listening Dog Media. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, this is the Offside Rule World Cup Daily with Sky Sports. I'm Kate Borsay. Today, Spain and Sweden reach the semi-finals as the Netherlands and Japan go home. We now know whatever happens next, there will be a new World Cup winner this year. For today's show, I'm with Lindsay Hooper. Hi, Hoops. Hello. This is getting juicy now, isn't it? Isn't it just? And the WSL midfielder who played in England's last two World Cup squads, it's Jade Moore. Hi, Jade. Hello both. I'm actually really tired after watching them two games this morning. Oh, Jade, it's hard work, isn't it, watching football? It is. It's easier playing. I'm telling you that now. (laughs) Uh, We'll get into today's quarterfinals in a bit. But first, let's look ahead, shall we, to England's quarterfinal against Colombia tomorrow. We caught up with Jade's former teammate, Lucy Staniforth, in Sydney. She was on the standby list for the England World Cup squad, part of the prep camp in Australia, before leaving the team when the tournament started. Okay, Lou, so we'll get a bit into the football. So what was it like being part of the prep camp? Do you know what, Jade? Best camp I've been on, as weird as that sounds, given like my p- position within the squad. Maybe it was to do with that. I don't know. We came out early to get acclimatised to the weather, to the time difference, and it was just so nice to be in a beautiful place. But then, I don't know, training was good. The, the vibes were just great and... I was actually really sad to leave. Yeah. So what was your mentality like, knowing obviously that you're going over there, you're travelling a day to get somewhere that you've never been before, but obviously knowing that you're never going to, you know, take part of the biggest part of why you've actually gone there. Like, what was that like for you? Yeah, I I think I was like quite grateful for the 2019 World Cup and having been there but not played many minutes, so I kind of knew what to expect a little bit. And when I originally had the conversation with Serena about being on standby after the course, I just made a mistake. Like, I've put myself in a really difficult position about, you know, you sort of waiting for a phone call. But actually, I knew deep inside me that I would regret it if I didn't do it. So I kind of just came into the camp. It was funny, we had this meeting early on and it was like, what are you going to bring to the camp? Like, what? I don't know. There was like loads of different things. And I was sat with Neve Charles and the question was, what are you going to bring to the camp? And I just wrote vibes. And (laughs) she was like, yeah, like that's perfect. And she was like, you actually always like you do bring it. So I hope I trained all right as well. (laughs) (laughs) I actually got the opportunity for the 2012 Olympics to go and be a training player. And I turned it down. Um, I just didn't think from a mental perspective of where I was at. I had a few family problems. My nan had passed away at that time and I thought I was better suited being at home. We did get sold a very different dream, I think, when with that because it was saying you wasn't going to be part of the Olympic Village and all of that stuff. So I was like, I don't think I can do that. So 
for me, I see it from a different point of view, but I was really like intrigued to see how Lucy seen it and how she, you know, lived and breathed it and whether she felt, you know, completely connected to the team um, and how much obviously that affected her being there and obviously then having to step away when obviously the tournament starts. Mm. I think like, and I don't know if it's because I just threw myself into it, but I made like a real conscious effort to sort of like leave a mark. I didn't want to finish the camp and people go like by the end of it oh was Lucy even there like I wanted them to miss me and I wanted them to think oh she's really contributed on the training pitch so I think that was like my sole focus for being there not in a fake way I guess just like in a real genuine like authentic way and obviously knowing people the light the likes of Jill not being there anymore as well like those kind of characters are a big miss so I just wanted to try and yeah bring a bit of myself to the group and it was the most at ease I'd ever been in an England setup so it was actually really natural yeah no pressure yeah exactly when Kira Walsh picked up her injury obviously there were there were people calling for you Lucy Stan Lucy Stan get her in but that wasn't possible was it no no it wasn't um Obviously, it was a bit of a, it was a funny feeling, really, because it wasn't that soon after I'd left the camp that, obviously, that game came around. I think my initial feeling was, obviously, like, I hope she's okay. Because, like I say, it was a weird position to be in, really, because I never wanted anyone to get injured. So, shall we get into Columbia? (laughs) How do you think we'll fare? Like, what do you think we'll do? What can you expect from them? I reckon we'll, we'll stick with what we're doing. I don't know how much we end up actually creating but I think defensively especially with like you know Jess Carter's emergence I actually think that Jess, Millie and Alex have done really well in that back three and it would be really difficult to change that even if we maybe didn't you know have as much possession or whatever against Nigeria in a way it worked but obviously then there's like some points where you're like okay well are we going to create goal-scoring opportunities? I think there was a few against Nigeria, but can we add more to that? I don't know, in that formation. Yeah, I'm really intrigued as to, obviously, Serena's not really changed formation over the last year or two. Mm. Did she prep that formation when you was there, or has it been just a little bit of a whim? Or has she been listening to the Offside World <laughs> podcast? Are you talking about the back three? Jade yeah yeah Yeah. well the whole formation changed because obviously we've gone from a 4-4-4-3-3 to now a a 3 or 5 at the back I think like physically when I was in camp we didn't prep that but I can't obviously speak for like after I left I think it was yeah it was it wasn't something that I'd been a part of but in saying that obviously when we prep against teams we do match that formation so in some ways we have played it if that makes sense right I think the biggest thing and disappointment for me watching that Nigeria game was we didn't have many answers to that player for player marking system we didn't rotate enough we didn't have enough fluidity that's something that I think this Columbia team will do um, against us again and, and try and see if they can you know, get um, get some pressure on us by obviously, just, you know, the dark arts that we spoke about the other day, Kate, about, you know, trying to make it ugly, trying to make the game really combative. Do you think that this England team has enough to get around that again, Luce? Mm. Like, It's a good question, actually, because I think maybe sometimes, even though there's like moments of individual brilliance or great team play, there's probably moments where could the England team 
perhaps move out of shape a little bit to disrupt the opposition. I thought we saw that against China really well when Alessia and Hempo worked the channels. Yeah. Obviously, we didn't really, like, those opportunities just didn't arise as much against Nigeria. I think when we'd sort of hit the channels, like, Nigeria were wise to it, they were expecting it, and they were ready for it. So it's almost like, well, what's the next curveball that we can throw? Because there's so much talent there, like, it's insane when you think of the forward players. But, yeah, it's almost like, right, we need another trick up our sleeve. If we're going to play that formation, it can't just be one-dimensional, especially, like you say, if they're playing man for man. It feels like we need a China surprise, but maybe that's not completely appropriate. But it feels like we need to see something else. What about the loss of Lauren James, Um, Lucy? You've talked about the insane talent of attacking strength with this England side. How do they set up without Lauren James? I mean, there was an England team before Lauren James, wasn't there? And they they won the Euros. Very good point. Um, (laughs) I I actually think that this game could suit Ella Toon really nicely. The way that Colombia seem to defend in and around the box, like they're just so ball hungry. They're kind of like, well, they've obviously conceded two penalties, haven't they, in the tournament so far. And they almost like swarm the ball. And I think what Tooney's best at is having those moments, calming her brain, dropping her shoulder and just playing someone in. So I, I, I do think that this could be one of those games where it's like her time to shine because um, she's not quite had that moment yet uh, in the World Cup. Yeah, agreed. Uh, well, look, we'll, we'll probably um, go on to discuss this more in the show with Jade, but it's been really lovely to see you, Lucy. It's been great to see you guys uh, interact with each other as well. I feel like I'm just, you know, sitting in on some sort of England tactical session. It's quite nice. Thanks so much for joining us. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Lucy. See, see you soon. That was Lucy Staniforth joining us a little bit earlier. Jade, what about how the England team approach this Colombia side? They've got a strong attacking threat from the likes of Ramirez and Casado. No doubt England are going to be wary about that. But I also think that that they are, Colombia, going to look at the Nigeria game, look at the energy that Nigeria bought and their type of gameplay as well, and presumably take some notes on that. I remember playing Colombia in the 2015 World Cup in Canada, and it was, it was a really well, scrappy yeah. game. I actually love those games. I love being a part of those games. But it's it's all it's a game on moments. And if England can capitalise on those moments when they've got momentum and clinically execute, because that's what this team's so good at, is is actually executing when they're in when they've got momentum. They need to not get wrapped up in what the Columbia team may do. But also for me, with the way that I I looked at them against Nigeria's, they didn't have a lot of fluidity in their movement. And what I mean by that is we was quite static in midfield. We we had a one pivot in Kira, we had a Georgia Stanway to that right hand side, a Lauren James to that left hand side, which when you're a defensive player or you're in defensive shape, it's really easy to to play a mark when they're just doing certain areas of the pitch. You know, you know you can shuffle to one side and then shuffle back because that's where the player's gonna be. But if they start to move and start to, you know, occupy on blinds blind side of players be in places that are a little bit unorthodox start to outnumber you know manipulate the opposition shape that's what I was looking for I want them to manipulate their shape you know notice in the game what is being a threat towards that team and I think you know if if that does look like direct play keep doing it don't just be like oh no we're a possession-based football team so let's keep the ball around the back and make it look really pretty well, no, if we're actually getting success from, you know, clipping the ball in direct into our nines and playing off of that, let's do that. 
And I think that's what I'm, I'm kind of saying about playing the style of play that is effective and that builds momentum that obviously allows the fluidity to happen. And ball speed is really important when, in any formation. What happens with ball speed is if you start searching for passes, it slows the game down. So if you're constantly trying to look for people before you get the ball and, and then when you do have the ball, it's almost like lend the ball, just lend the ball, make the opposition work. And I think, you know, in this England team, we have good enough players start breaking lines, breaking lines with passes, breaking lines with running with the ball. So I think if we start to not search for passes and keep the ball speed high, those spaces will will basically appear for themselves. And then it's obviously about what we've talked about before, executing that pass, turning on the ball and driving forward and being really creative. I think this team is the best when they're creative. Well, to get the Colombia perspective, we spoke to Alejandra Velasquez, a journalist for Super Poderosas, who was also the Colombia women's team's first ever reporter. It's great to have you on the show, Alejandra. Thanks for being with us. Tell us, first of all, about the fans following Colombia. They look amazing in the stadiums. Why are there so many in Australia and New Zealand? And are the team getting as much support back home as well? Yeah. Hi for everyone. I have to say that I'm really surprised because I didn't expect to find so many Colombians here, but they are supporting the team with so many representative uh, Colombian uh, things and Colombian culture, like uh, flags, uh, shirts, the typical dances. And with the happiness, of, uh, is the most important thing. And uh, to in the stadiums, uh, inside and outside the stadiums, the screams, and they are so crazy. Players say that uh, they felt uh, playing at home. And in Colombia, there are so many people supporting the team too. It doesn't matter the schedule because the game's at at 3 a.m. or 5 a.m. But they are supporting there and it's impressive because I've never seen it before. How do you think that this Colombia side is going to try and overcome England tactically? Uh, tactically, Colombia usually uses a 4-2-3-1 formation. Linda Caicedo, that is the player of reference when it comes to attacking Lacey Santos with her role as playmaker, is important to beat the solid English defense with her cruises and shots from outside the box. Linda Casado, you mentioned there, and we're all getting mildly obsessed with her. I'm sure you're being asked about her a lot. Is she like a hero back in Colombia now? And and who else should England be mindful of, not just Casado? Yeah, Linda Caicedo uh, right now is the most important player in Colombia, the most popular Colombian player around the world too. And in addition, there are other outstanding players such as Catalina Usme, the top scorer in the history of Colombia. She has scored uh, 52 goals in the history Catalina Perez, the goalkeeper that have played all the games in this tournament, and uh, Manuela Vanegas, who can uh, fulfill her role as a central uh, defender or a uh, wide defender. Yeah, well, look, I, I admire Colombia's approach and take nothing away from them at all. They've been fantastic in this tournament. We've really enjoyed watching them so far. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Alejandro Velázquez. Thank you. Thank you for you and good luck for tomorrow. Oh, good luck to you as well. All right, let's move on then to today's quarterfinals. This is Tash Dowie. Join us for the Offside Rule World Cup Daily with Sky Sports. 
Well, Sweden knocked out Japan to make it into the semi-finals with a 2-1 win in Auckland. Amanda Illestat scored Sweden's first after a scrappy free kick and Philippa Angadal slotted in her penalty after a handball from Fuka Nagano. Japan fought back, though. It got really tense towards the end this one. Riko Ueki missed a penalty, though, and Hanoka Hayashi's goal with a few minutes of normal time wasn't enough for them to do it. I really enjoyed this game, actually. But the one thing to note, I think, first of all, Jade, is that Sweden had this absolutely down, didn't they, in terms of their tactical approach, really nearly until the end of the game. Yeah, they did. I would never, ever bet against Sweden. I've played against them so many times in my career. Most recently, my last game for England, when they knocked us out the third and fourth playoff where they beat us, they took the bronze away. And they've now made four major tournaments in, sem- in the semi-finals, And that's the fourth in a row. So this, this team knows how to get the job done. And I think their performance today just proved that. Yeah, they find a way to win. What what impressed you particularly, uh, Lindsay? We've been, haven't we, so pleased with the way that Japan have arrived at this tournament, their technical play and their tactics. But Sweden just just totally mastered them. How did they do it? This is the best we've seen of Sweden at this World Cup. They saved it for the for the biggest test in Japan. And actually, tactically, they got everything spot on. Although we saw Japan being ruthless when it came to counterattacking football against Spain, they really sharpened up at the back and they were very alert. I thought defensively, Sweden, apart from just a couple of things, I think for the goal, Ericsson didn't get enough purchase, did she, on the ball to try and clear it. But apart from that, it was a pretty faultless display when it came to defence. And we speak as well, Kate, about when we assign goal scorers in World Cups and we say, oh, where's own goal going to finish? Is it going to finish higher than the top goal scorer? But I think equally, we have to talk about the post being a great defender because in this match, yes, Musevic has got something around her, as Robin Cowan was saying in the commentary (laughs) at the moment. A magic ring. But that thing that's around her is the post and and that's been protecting her brilliantly. I, I mean, how many times did Japan have to see the ball come off the woodwork and agonizingly close to the line? You realize just millimeters, centimeters, how close you are to getting back in this match. Yeah, Sweden's uh, first goal, of course, had to come from a set piece, didn't it, Jade? Tell me what impressed you about them. Clear difference physically in both the sides. Sweden really used that to their advantage. What I loved about them, though, as I've leaned into already, was they did not let Japan get the ball. They didn't let Japan get up, get away with anything at all, really, for the bulk of this game. No, they didn't. And I, um, as we've already said, like Sweden know how to get the job done. They've been in this position before and they showed that experience today. I really like the word, the use of the word in dismantled that they used on the TV earlier. And I think that's exactly what Sweden did to this Japan team. They dismantled their threats and they executed their own. Sweden played to their strengths. They used their height. They used their aerial ability. They pushed Japan into the wide areas where they backed themselves defensively. They outran them. They outpassed them. They outpressed them. And it just was a really, you know, experienced display from this Sweden team that we've came to see a lot in these tournaments, especially in these final third knockout sort of games. Let's get the Japan perspective on this defeat then for them. After the match, we caught up with Dan Olowitz, who's been at the Japan Football Association watch party in Tokyo. Dan, it's great to have you with us. You've been at this watch party then. Tell us a bit more about it. I gather the Japan Football Association president spoke at full time. 
yes, that's correct. So the Japan Football Association uh, held a small watch party at its headquarters in Tokyo today. About 50 fans uh, who were invited via lottery, uh, actually former uh, Nidesco Japan players, Rumi Utsugi and Azusa Iwa Shimizu, uh, who were both part of the 2011 squad that won the world title, uh, both spoke to fans before the event, uh, and uh, Kozo Tashima, the president of the JFA, spoke to the media afterwards. Uh, he, he did speak on the level of quality that women's football is seeing and that we've seen at this World Cup, especially with 32 teams, uh, and, and how we've seen a lot of unexpected results from even the, the first-time participants there will be a new champion uh, after Japan were knocked out. I guess they were the only former uh, champion to still be in this tournament. Uh, and it does speak to how much Japan are going to have to improve to get to that level again. I think it's a very different playing field uh, from 12 years ago. And, and Tashima understands that. And I think the, the Japanese women's football community as a whole understands that. Uh, unfortunately, he wasn't as happy as he would have liked to be. Uh, but that's just how the game went. It was a very difficult one for Nadesco and hopefully something that they can build on. And is there any blame being attributed to the manager because of having players like Endo not starting in this match? Ueki as well. Yeah, yeah. Not, not impacting it with the players that I think some people around the world were expecting to see. So far, there isn't much blame. I think that everyone thinks that Fatoshi Ikeda had a, a wonderful World Cup. Uh, I think you look at the changes he did make and, and the adaptations that he brought on at, at halftime in the previous games and the adjustments to each team playing a different style to suit their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, I, I think for a first-time manager at a World Cup to get the results that he did, uh, it, it's looking very likely as though he will continue to lead Japan uh, into Olympic qualifying and hopefully going forward. It, it's a very different... Nadesco team from what we saw after France four years ago. I think that everyone saw this team play a very Japanese style of attack. Uh, there is purpose, there is intent, there is shape. And there were a lot of positives to take away from how they played. It just wasn't good enough to get them further than the quarterfinals. But if you look at the penalty that didn't go in, hitting the post, uh, mm -hmm. a handball that was very difficult to give away, that's just how international football is. You live by the sword and you die by the sword. Yeah. Jade, I just wonder from your perspective, with your tactics board out, um, <laughs> what, more Japan, <laughs> what more Japan could have done from your perspective? Well, I think obviously given what we've already come to see from Japan is their style of play and I think they just left it too late. They were so good obviously manipulating the ball, manipulating opposition, playing on that counter-attacking speed of play that they just didn't, they wasn't able to do that today because of how Sweden set up against them. So I think if they would have come out and attacked from the off, Endo not making it into the starting lineup and coming on at half-time, was a symbol really as to how that Japanese team set up in the first half. And that was very defensively to then go and attack the game, um, obviously in the second half. But by that point, the game was almost over in Japan's, uh, obviously in Sweden's favour. And Japan had obviously a, lot, a, a big task ahead of them to obviously come back. It is gutting, Dan. Of course it is. But from a personal point of view, having seen, you know, Japan reach the heights in 2011, the final in 2015, which Linz and I were privileged enough to watch live over in Canada, and then to see them sort of fall away slightly from World Cup, but to make a resurgence, although a work in progress resurgence is what I'd call it during this World Cup, that's been, that's been really satisfying 
happening. And I'm sure for you, based in Japan, it's been lovely to see, you know, strong hints of this team, you know, truly returning to the world stage. Absolutely. And for me, I think the biggest disappointment was that we didn't have enough people who also came along for the ride and enjoyed it. I think the, the, the response from my colleagues in the media was, where did this Japan team come from and why don't they have thousands of screaming supporters behind them? And that does speak to how women's football has faded from the, the Japanese public consciousness. And there's a lot of reasons behind that. I think that everyone understands that the JFA failed to capture capitalize on 2011. Uh, the fact that we had to wait 10 years for a women's professional league to come from that uh, is evidence of, of, of what they could have done. And, and in two years of the Wii League, uh, you have seen what happens to the players when they can focus on playing as professionals and compete at that level. And I think the next step is to build on that, to bring in more foreign players so that they can play against different styles and, and different physicalities and to probably just like the men in the J league to increase the rate at which Japanese players are going overseas so that they can step up and get that experience as we've seen from several of the players in this Japan squad. I think that the future is really bright. Uh, we just have to get more people tuning in and that's going to be a big challenge for the JFA over this next cycle. Gosh, always so fascinating to speak to you, Dan. And I really hope that that support continues to increase. I remember the strength of their fan base 10 years ago. So look, green shoots are there and um, I really hope it transpires that Japan keeps going from strength to strength. Dan Olowitz, sports journalist for the Japan Times. Thanks to you, Dan. No problem. Thanks again for having me. Well, next up, Sweden then will play Spain in the semi-finals. Let's get into how they overcame the Netherlands. Keep up to date with everything going on at the Women's World Cup in Australia by using the free Sky Sports app. You'll find news, interviews, live match coverage, analysis and much more. You don't have to be a Sky customer to use it. Go to your app store, download it and away you go. And after the World Cup, it's the best app for WSL coverage and so much more, including F1, the Premier League, world-class boxing, international cricket and more. Remember, you don't have to be a Sky customer to use it. Just search for Sky Sports in your app store. An extra time winner got Spain into their first major semi-final for 26 years as they beat the 2019 finalists, the Netherlands, 2-1 in Wellington. Mariona Caldente's penalty was cancelled out by a Stephanie van der Kracht equaliser in stoppage time before teenager, 19 years old. She is Selma Paraluelo, scored the winner for Spain. Jade, you said this one had extra time written all over it. You were absolutely correct. I did, but I watched this game this morning and it should have been Spain all the way. They allowed this team to get a foothold in the game. They should have never have done that. And it was a little bit disappointing again from this typical Spanish side that I seem to keep talking about. They're just not ruthless enough. And I think it's going to really, you know, not really going to stand them in very good stead moving forward in this competition or in tournaments to come if they don't start to tighten up those areas moving forward and being more ruthless in front of goal. They did get the win they needed, though. Was that more because of the pressure that Spain were able to apply, particularly the first half, really, Lindsay? Or was that because it was an under-par Netherlands performance? 
I think it was a bit of both. I think Spain were the better team. There was no doubt about that. But the Netherlands did not arrive into this game as I thought they were going to start. I felt like their their main tactic here was to try and disrupt Spain's play. I think they focused way too much on the opposition rather than on themselves. It was all about trying to disrupt what Spain were doing. So you saw in this match that there were 22 fouls for the Netherlands. I thought in set pieces, they were disappointing. I thought on the counter-attack we've seen in previous previous matches. They've had a real threat with pace in behind. We hardly saw that apart from the Berenstein penalty shout, which she was very hard done by, I thought. I didn't think it was a clear and obvious error to overturn after that penalty had been awarded. But really, it was the only time they got in, be- in, in behind Spain. Overall, my my feeling, Kate, and I think I put it in the group, was I, I, I was more disappointed with the Netherlands performance than I was impressed by Spain's. The VAR decision to obviously overturn the penalty that was given with Bernstein, I am confused by that one. I'd lo- love a little bit more light shed on it because for me, the contact was in her back. Yes. So I don't know whether they've seen it as they've come together and hit at the same time. They were implying it was more shoulder barge, was, weren't they? I thought they they were implying that it was... Physical half, contact yeah, within the game. Half a dozen yeah. of one, half a dozen of the other, whereas I, I would yeah. argue that it was probably not. We've spoke about contact before. We've spoke about soft contact. But when you hit someone in the back, you stop them from being able to do their next action. Yeah. And and that was Mm. what, for me, what it looked like. And then Spain's 19-year-old superstar. She's the youngest ever Paluelo. She's the youngest ever Spanish player uh, to score at a Women's World Cup. What an amazing moment for her. Just so... I was going to say contained, but I suppose composed is probably the better C word to use in that one, Lindsay. <laughs> to do that at 19, to send your side through, is insane. Yeah, I mean, composed, cool. Why is it all C words that we want to use? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. know. I'm going to have to move off the C words very but- <laughs> soon before it gets dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, she was doing great stuff in this and we don't have to use any others. But um, yeah, she she just showed that she was advanced to her years. I think right now in this Spain side, it shows us fearlessness. I think if you looked at the game overall, the ones that have gotten the more experience, the more caps under their, their belt, they're the ones that are passing in those opportunities and trying to score the perfect goal. For me, that execution of that shot was exactly what was needed at the time. And finally, someone pulled the trigger. And look mm. what happens when Spain, Spain shoot and they score. It's as yeah. simple as that sometimes in football. For the Netherlands, having had Serena Wiegmann as their coach, you know, clearly achieved fantastic things getting to the final in 2019. To then have Mark Parsons in a slightly um, strained spell under him, Andres Jonker. Now they've had two, you know, changes of manager since that, since sort of reaching the heights of 2019, I suppose, on the back of the Euro success in 2017. I just wonder whether that sort of fractured them slightly. They've been without, um, of course, Vivian Miedemar, where do they go from here, Jay? Do they just need a little bit of solidity, a, a little bit of consistency? Uh, and we should note that there was no, of course, no DVD today, van der Donk. Um, and various cards were on, various players, sorry, were on cards as well, weren't they? Did that, mm. did that make them tentative at all? I look at this Netherlands type, uh, team now and I think they're a team in transition, obviously given their recent managerial changes. It does cause upset. It does cause a lack of rhythm. Yes, they're losing their key player in Vivian Miedemar, who does kind of run that front line and scores a lot of goals for them and, and, and keeps them at the top of their game, in my opinion. 
the problem that they've got now is they have to regroup. There's probably older players now that might not make the next tournament. So there's going to be a transition year. But this team's always been a, cons- like a consistent in women's football. And I think the word consistency is something that Serena Wiegman did with that team. Another and C I think- word. Another <laughs> C word, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> um, well, look, um, interesting times for the Netherlands ahead. I mean, I thought they looked convincing from the first group stage game, so I'm sorry that it's turned out this way for them, but that is what tournament football is, after all. Very quick thoughts on Spain versus Sweden in the mm. semi-finals. I haven't even began to even think about this game yet, <laughs> given what's just happened this morning, but it is going to be a really interesting game. I cannot, for the life of me now, put any money on anyone who's going to make it to the final, let alone like who's going to win, what scores, who's going to you know step up and score the goals. The game's gone for me. This World Cup tournament, it's, like, <laughs> it's just been utter madness. I can't call anything. <laughs> Jade has resigned from I have, predictions. Yeah. Uh, Lindsay? Sweden are absolutely capable of getting this job done. What we don't know about Spain is whether they have that other level. I think we've seen Sweden go to that other level in this match, this last match. Can we see Spain do it? Because I still think they're, they've shown chinks. Plenty of questions still to be answered over the semi-finals. We do still have the small matter, two more quarterfinals to come tomorrow. This means, of course, even though Jade's resigned from predictions, <laughs> and we're going to turn her hand, make her do it. It's time for our ones to watch predictions game. Here's producer Sophie with the knockout round rules. This is ones to watch from the Offside Rule World Cup Daily with Sky Sports, the game where you predict tomorrow's top player. So pick a player. And if they score, you'll get two points. It's one for an assist and for a clean sheet if they're a defender. A goalkeeper gets two points for a clean sheet and three for a penalty save in open play. If it goes to a penalty shootout, it's one point for scoring and a keeper gets two points for a save. Oh, and minus one for a red card or an own goal. We're going to be keeping tallies throughout the tournament for Kate, Lindsay, the pundits, the producers and of course the listeners. So keep track of your scores and let us know how you're getting on. You can join in any time by starting with the same amount of points as the person in last place. So pick a player and let's get started. A very non-eventful set of quarterfinals for our predictions. No points picked up by anyone at all. Uh, so the scores are still the producers and I lead on 27 points and the pundits and Lindsay are tied on 13 points. Jade back in for the pundits, of course, today. On Saturday, England face Colombia and Australia play France. Who then are your ones to watch? Jade Moore. So we thought that it might be a Sam Kerr special. However, we've come away from it. We want to back our own and we're going for Alessia Russo. Okay, Lindsay oh. Hooper. So I've really overthought this basically, Kate. <laughs> right. And I'm going, I'm sticking with Lassamere who got me all my points. I'm going to go for Diani for France. She was so impressive against Morocco. She's very dependable for France and I think they're really going to need her against Australia because this is going to be a tight game. But I'm all up for some Diani magic once again. So that's mine. Producer Sophie, I think, has taken a leaf out of my book for the last England game. She's gone with Mary Earps, you big copycat Sophie. Uh, (laughs) On England, she's just typed into my notes, rude. Mm. Producer Sophie, sorry. (laughs) So, yeah, England will still be missing Lauren James in the next game. So two-match ban uh, has been confirmed for that red card. 
Well, you can let us know your predictions, please, for the quarterfinals using the hashtag OffsideWC and the handle at OffsideRulePod. It's been great to have you both on. Looking forward to those quarterfinals, of course. Lindsay Hooper, thanks to you. Thank you. And Jade Moore, thanks to you. Thank you very much. This has been the Offside Rule World Cup Daily with Sky Sports. We'll speak to you tomorrow. Sports Social Podcast Network.